You know, all of us have a little bit of this in us. It's called vanity. We can be some vain folks. We work hard to present ourselves, fixing our hair, keeping our teeth white, keeping ourselves physically in shape, dressing in the best, whatever we can possibly do. And some of that, let's be honest, it's a little, it's a little vanity. Share a little experience I have. Several years ago, I was pastoring in Fredericksburg. And I got up to shave. And when I got up, I had, I had purchased a new razor. And, you know, I had been used to the old razor. And, you know, every once in a while, when you have thick eyebrows, you just kind of have to trim them up, you know? It's just something you got to do. You ladies do it. We men have to do it sometimes, too. But I had this new razor. It's on Sunday morning. And, Rick, I'm doing the vain thing. I'm making sure there ain't no hair sticking out wild left and right on my, over my right and left eye. But this new razor, and I wasn't paying close enough attention. Man, I cut me a Vulcan V right in the middle of my eyebrow. I'm standing there in panic mode. What in the world am I going to do? I said, well, I could call my associate pastor and have him cover. <laughs> he doesn't have to explain. Pastor's just out today. But there was no way I was going up into church in front of hundreds of people with a big old gouge in my eyebrow. Then I had the brilliant idea. So I put on a pair of glasses. And I wore glasses all day long. I come into service and people see me in glasses. They're doing that double take, looking at me like this. Pastor, what, what's wrong? Something wrong with your eyes? Why are you wearing glasses? You ain't never wore glasses before. I just smile or say something like, I'm just trying out a new style. <laughs> yeah. I went through the whole day, preached in glasses and greeting in glasses, but that rim of that, those glasses covered that eyebrow so nobody could see that I had gouged my eyebrow. Well, you know, as it happens, things kind of filled in. Didn't have to break out no magic marker or anything. I mean, things kind of filled in. Following Sunday, I was back at church. No glasses. Pastor, you were wearing glasses last week. Well, it was just a style thing. And for those that had thought I had an eye malady, they thought I was healed from one week to the next. I never told them any different. <laughs> and one girl, it bothered her for five years. I guarantee you, it was five years later before I finally told her the story. She said, I've been wondering all these years why you wore glasses that one Sunday. Because quite honestly, we, we wrestle. Sometimes our identity, some people wrestle with understanding how valuable they are. There's others that put a little too much stock in their value. In John chapter 1, beginning at verse 19, and I'm going to ask you to leave your Bibles open. It says, and this is the record of John, 
when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who art thou? And he confessed and denied not, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, What then? Art thou Elijah? And he saith, I am not. Art thou that prophet? And he answered, No. Then said they unto him, Who art thou that we may give an answer to them that sent us? What sayest thou of yourself, thyself? He said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as said the prophet Isaiah. Would you pray with me this morning, Father? We come before you today thanking you for grace and for mercy, for kindness and goodness that you have bestowed upon us. For these next few moments, Lord, would you just hide us behind the cross? Lord, I pray that you would open our eyes to see and our ears to hear the truth of Scripture. God, I just pray that you would change our perspective, that we would be reminded of who you are, and we would have a revelation of who we are. We thank you, we praise you, we bless you. In Jesus' name. And the church said, Amen. The title of my message today is called, I Am Not, But I Know I Am. Several years ago, I was listening to Louis Giglio from Passion Church in Atlanta. The Lord used him to drop a significant thought into my spirit that I have not been able to shake for many, many years. And I want to make a bold statement today. And that bold statement is, is what happens in this ministry is not about me. What happens through this ministry is not about you. It is about Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. Now we say amen to that with our words, but the challenge is, do we really portray that in our daily walk with God? There was a great forerunner to Jesus, and his name was John. We dub him John the Baptist. And there was three days in his life that are found in John chapter 1, three consecutive days. And I found as I studied a three-day period in his life, I saw a pattern in him that I believe God wants to see develop in every one of us. Before I dive into it this morning too much, let me ask the question, are you okay with your smallness? Or are you one of those who are on this never-ending treadmill believing that upsizing is better? Do you find yourself constantly promoting yourself, always seeking acceptance and validation from other people? If we're honest today, we understand that we get a little full of ourselves. 
It's been said that that is just the DNA card that comes with sinful flesh. But may I share with you today that it is okay to embrace fading rather than enlarging. It is okay to become less popular than more popular. It is okay if people forget your name. Little people who are okay being little because they serve a very big God and they're fully throttled behind the very big cause of their very big God. On day one, I see in the life of John the Baptist that he takes this posture. And the posture is simply this. I am not. Now our society is driven to self-preservation and self-promotion and self-recognition and we spend millions on who we are and want to become. But how about the thought of who we are not? Steve Rushing, a writer for Sports Illustrated, wrote an article that I believe every professional sports jock should read. This is that article. It may help to remember that you are a human being. And as uniquely gifted as you are, there are over 6 billion other uniquely gifted humans on the earth. Add to this that the fact that earth is only one of nine planets orbiting the sun. And the sun is only one of several billion stars in the Milky Way. And remember that the Milky Way is only one of, of 30 galaxies in its local galaxy cluster. And this cluster is only one of the many inconceivably vast Virgo superclusters. And that the inconceivably vast Virgo supercluster is scarcely anything at all. It's just an infinitesimal dust mite in an ever-expanding universe. Maybe a good starting point is to ask the question, who I am not. John the Baptist thrived on that. On Day one, he thrived on denying who he was not. You see, they sent the big shots from the religious headquarters down to see him. And they were asking this question about John the Baptist. They're asking, what's going on here? They're asking, who are you? And he's saying, I am not the Christ. I am not. I find that to be fascinating because John the Baptist is mentioned at least eight 89 times in the Bible. He is a hero of the New Testament. There were many that were arrested by his look and by his fiery words. He had flashing eyes that were full of energy. He had uncut Nazarite locks of hair and a resounding heralding voice that pierced like a sword. And this went on for 12 to 18 months. And so they asked him the question, are you you 
the Christ. And he said, I am not. Are you Elijah? The prophet Malachi told us that the great Elijah of Horeb would come announcing Messiah. Are you him? He said, I am not. Are you that prophet that Moses said God would raise up? I am not. Oh, he missed an opportunity at the nation's homage. He missed an opportunity at celebrity status, being at his very fingertips. It was the greatest moment of his calling. He had everybody at his beckoning words and beckoning sound of his voice, but he simply stated, I am not. I thought about that this week, and I this thought came to my mind. What if someone came down from the Church of God, Cleveland, Tennessee, our Church of God headquarters? What if somebody came up from, came down from Roanoke, Virginia, our state headquarters? Maybe they're hearing in Roanoke and Cleveland that there's some exciting things happening at the Church of God in Pulaski. They're hearing about salvations and they're hearing about healings and they're hearing about miracles and, and revival and, and great services and, and community impact. And, and so they, they send a, a delegation down from our headquarters and they come rolling up into the building and they walk over to the head usher and they say to him, you look important. Who are you? And the head usher looks back and says, I am not. Oh, they find the most talented singer in the choir or on the praise team and they say wow you are really anointed what is your name and the response they get is I am not oh they go over brother Gene and they track down the key musician wow it looks like things are going well here and you play a key role who are you sir who are you ma'am and they get a response I am not maybe it is they approach one that spits and sweats and is so animated when he delivers a message. You, sir, no doubt are relevant to this ministry. What did you say your name was? My name is I am not. Now, someone in the room would think that's demoralizing. Some would think that is self-degrading. But I've come by to preach today for the child of God. It's not degrading. It's not self-demoralizing. Oh, no, quite the contrary. It it is liberating. You say, how can that be liberating? You see, because we've got some people even in the body of Christ, in the community, in politics, in sports, in Hollywood, they all kind of have a savior mentality. But wouldn't it be great if somebody reached out to you and said, oh, my brother, I'm desperate and only you can help me. And you look at them and say, I am not. Oh, dear sister. Oh, no one else has the solution for me. Only you can help me. And you say, I am not. Wouldn't it be great to answer, I am not the answer. I am not the solution. I am not the Messiah. Wouldn't it be great if somebody called and said, you're the only person on this earth that is able to help. And you simply respond by saying, I'm not the promised one, but thanks for calling anyway. I'm telling you, I believe somebody is going to get some freedom in the house from always 
he's having to provide the answer to everyone's situation. I'm telling you, I am not the answer to your problems. I am not your Savior, but I'm glad to point you to the one who's the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. For when man fails, Jesus Christ never fails. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. One lady heard this several years ago such, and had such a breakthrough that she changed her license plate. And now her license plate reads, I am not. It's a great conversation starter, isn't it? You see, within the body of Christ, there is a gulf stream of pride that exists. And there are times that we're tempted to want to be someone's savior. I'm telling you, we are living in a time like never before where whole ministries are now built on some person's reputation. That's the time we're living in. And sometimes we may need to be reminded that we are not that big. I want to tell some folks today, you are not that big. I am not that big. If the Lord calls me home tomorrow, if he says it's time for the heart to stop beating and the lungs to stop breathing, here's the truth. My family may be a little miserable for a while, but the truth of the matter is I'm going to be better off than everybody else in the room. And something else that is reality is that you're going to look at this body and you're going to say he was a good guy. But the truth of the matter is you're going to have a, a dinner full of some chicken and some dessert, some banana pudding. And then you're going to say, bring on the next guy. Because here's the truth of it all. This ministry is not built around one personality. This ministry is built upon a bunch of I am nots that say we trust in the great I am. And because we trust in the great I am, we can be successful in the ministry of the kingdom of God. Hmm. <laughs> Whatever answer you have for someone's need, it came from God's guidance, God's wisdom, and God's provision. Quit taking credit for it. I am not. I am not. That's what he said on day one. I am not. That's hard to hear. Because we kind of take pride in our education, our personality, our gifts, our charisma, our athletic ability. Friend, you are not. Sometimes you just need to have a good little dose of the word. Happens to me when I go out on a prayer walk. I like to go when the sun's about to set, Brother Fred. Because when I walk and the sun's about to set and I look and I see the moon starting to come out and I see the, the sprinkle, of the, uh, the twinkle of the stars as they begin to fill the night sky. I'm reminded of what the psalmist wrote in Psalms chapter 8. He said, when I consider the heavens, the moon and the stars which you have ordained. What is man that you are even mindful of him? Just the fact that he is mindful of you ought to cause you to be in awe. Come on now, somebody help me. 
But then he went on. He took it further. He said, not only are you mindful of man, but that you also visit the Son of Man. He not only is mindful of us, but he comes to visit us. And then I flip over in the New Testament and I read where the God who went from being mindful of us to occasionally visiting us in the Old Testament through his Son and through his Spirit now has taken up residence inside of us. I don't understand it all, but I realize when I stand out in God's creation, I'm not much of anything at all compared to the grandeur and the glory of Almighty God. I kind of feel this bouncing back at me a little bit this morning. In Psalms and in Job, there are two statements that are just about identical. The writer pens these words. I am a worm and no man. He realized how really small he was. You know, last time I checked, according to Scripture, I'm nothing but dirt. I came from dirt, and to dirt I shall return. This is healthy perspective. <laughs> it's not putting you down. It's liberating. When you say, I am not, you're, you're now free. You're free from always having to be right. Oh, there's a thought. When, when, you, when you understand this, you, you, you are now free from the pressures of always having to have things your own way. Because you are not. That's day one. The next day, if you look at verses 29 through 34, John the Baptist, who said, I am not, showed the little Christians that little Christians know I am. I am not, but I know I am. Well, that sounds kind of odd. Well, the first day he spent saying, I am not. Who are you? I am not. The second day he is now exalting Christ. He's saying, I am not, but I know I am. <laughs> you see, one of the reasons we are aware I am not is because we have met the great I am. If you really know I am, if he is I am, then by simple deduction, our name is I am not. I, I, I run into folks that think it is all about them. They really haven't encountered the great I am. Because once you encounter the great I am, you realize you are not. <laughs> you see, I go back to the Old Testament and read in Exodus chapter 2 about a man named Moses. He thought he was the I am. He tried to deliver his people from Egyptian bondage his way. What ended up happening? He instead murdered an Egyptian and became a fugitive and wandered in the wilderness because he thought he was the I am. And so another 40 years, the people of God remained in bondage. That didn't change God's calling on his life. 
But that's what happens when you forget, I am not. So then he's out in the middle of the wilderness one day, and God gives him a burning bush experience. He turns aside to behold this burning bush that is burning and not consumed. And and God begins to talk out of this burning bush. And God tells him he wants him to go back to Egypt and deliver God's people from Egyptian bondage. And Moses began to make excuses 40 years later as to why he could not do it. And, And then he finally asked God, he said, okay, God, you want me to go and you want me to deliver your people from Egyptian bondage. What am I going to tell them? They haven't seen me in 40 years what am I going to do when I walk up in there and the Jewish people that are in bondage when they look at me and they ask the question who sent you to deliver us from bondage what do I say and God said you tell them I am that I am has sent you this is where we shout this is where we get excited because Moses came to a realization as an I am not that he needed an encounter with the great I I am. And then when I am not met I am, then he was ready to lead God's people out of bondage and into the promised land. Don't we see it today? Pride is so present. So present in all of us. And it's seeing ourselves. But the truth is we are not. Humility is seeing God. Because he is the great I am. And I'll tell you what this world needs a whole lot more of. A whole lot more of Jesus and a whole lot less of Donald Jones. And on day two, John not only took off the, all the attention off of himself... But on the second day, he said, behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. He pointed to Jesus. John, a.k.a. I am not, said, I'm willing to go to the desert to proclaim, though I am not, I know the great I am. (laughs) Hallelujah. You know, what's really a shame is when you're around people that say, I am not. But by the way they act, they still think they are. But we're praying for you. Well, pastor, how do I become I am not? I'll tell you how you do it. In every single thing that you do, you realize and you say, I know the great I am. The true believer doesn't say Jesus should increase or I think it would be a good evangelistic strategy if Jesus increased. The true Christian states, I don't know what else has to happen, but Jesus must increase. Lord, help me preach here. In this church, Jesus must increase. In my marriage, Jesus must increase. 
In my relationship with my children, Jesus must increase. In my recreation, Jesus must increase. Fellas on the football field, Jesus must increase. Ladies on the basketball court, Jesus must increase. I'm telling you, when it's all said and done, they'll come and they'll go. And they'll move on past you to someone else. But I'm telling you, the one that makes a mark that'll last beyond the sports world, last beyond academia, last beyond charisma, is the one that says, you know what? I'm going to decrease because I am not and in everything I do I'm going to make Jesus Christ increase in the lives of people I come in contact with I don't know how big this church is going to get but Jesus must increase I don't know how much money I have to have to make it in this world but Jesus must increase I don't know what I'll be driving next year or what kind of home I'm going to be living in, but Jesus must increase. What are you saying to us, Pastor? I'm saying that, that your, your ministry, your reputation, your accomplishments, they all must be part of a vanishing act in the light of his glory. Now, sometimes preachers, we just get a little stirred up. I've been a little stirred up here lately. And I want to tell you something. Ezekiel Elliott and Antonio Brown are small. Ariana Grande and Jennifer Lopez are small. Donald Trump and Joe Biden are small. Dwayne The Rock Johnson and Kim Kardashian are small. I think we just need an understanding and a realization that in comparison to who God is, we are small. There's only one great I am. And I am not, a.k.a. me, has met him and my life has been turned upside down and it is my life mission that I must decrease and he must increase. Hebrews chapter 11, the hall of faith. Everybody gets excited about the first portion. I get equally excited about the second half of the chapter because you go to the second half of the chapter and there are many that are not even named in the Word of God. You go to the upper room in Acts chapter 2 and you read about 120. But many of those 120 that received the baptism of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, many of them are not even named. It's okay. It's okay if people forget you. Let me tell you, <laughs> October 1st will be your two years. October 1st, uh, two years ago, our first Sunday, I met a deluge of people, wonderful people, very kind to us. I'm telling you, there was two ladies. The following Sunday, I needed to know their name. What's my name? I don't know. You should know my name by now. It's only been a week. That wasn't a good answer. So I learned from that point on, everybody was brother and sister. Some might, I might be saying by faith, but everybody was brother and sister. But it really doesn't matter if people forget your name as long as they remember the Jesus living inside of you. So day one, he's, I am not. I am not. 
I'm not the Messiah. I am not the Savior. I'm not Malachi. I'm not Elijah. I'm not Moses. I'm not the prophet. I am not. The very next day, he took it further. He said, I am not. But I tell you what, if you look over there, that's the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. I am not, but I have a relationship with that one over there who I'm going to call the great I am. But then on day three, verses 35 through 37, John the Baptist on day three, he shows little Christians are willing, this is very important, to give up others' loyalty so that they can follow the big I am. You need to follow I am. Little Christians encourage others to follow. On the third day, John again, this is very important, he again designates Jesus as the Lamb of God, but this time on day three, his words ring with so much conviction that his own followers... People devoted to him, his own students, his own disciples forsook John and followed Jesus. I am not because I know I am. And I am willing to turn others away from I am not, a.k.a. me, to follow I am. John basically said, stop looking over here. And start looking over there. His whole, his whole premise was that he would see their backside as they left him and followed Jesus. On day two, he was stating a fact. But on day three, he was influencing others away from him to follow Jesus. I am afraid, even in the Christian, especially in Christian media, that there are too many that are wrapped up in a personality. That they have forgotten that they are only to follow them as they follow Christ. I pray for many souls. I do, I pray for many souls to be saved. But if they get saved in these altars and they land on their feet at Family Worship Center or Jubilee Christian Center or Valley Harvest or Dublin Church of God or Abundant Life, we still win. We still win. Because it's never been about building the local church. It's always been about expanding the kingdom of Jesus. It's not about building Donald Jones's church. It's not even about rebuilding the hundred-year-old Pulaski Church of God. We'll celebrate the day. That Sunday before Christmas, when we walk in there and worship for the first time, we'll celebrate that. But you know what would be a greater celebration than that day? Would be the day that the first person kneels in the altars and accepts Jesus into their heart. As the Bible proves, temples come and temples go. They're erected 
They're torn down. They're erected. They're torn down. It's going to be another one. It's going to be torn down and then erected before the millennial reign of Christ. Temples come and temples go in same locations. But only what's done for Christ lasts for eternity. History was made this past week in Major League Baseball. I don't remember their first names. I know their last names was Moran. But for the first time in Major League Baseball, a pitcher on the mound, last name Moran, pitched against his brother at the plate, one from the Pittsburgh Pirates, one from the Florida Marlins. Never had been done before. Staring at someone with your same DNA. That had had to be pretty amazing. Can I tell you that God is my father? Can I tell you that Jesus is my big brother? He fights for me. He protects me. He provides for me. He's my closest confidant. Anybody that says, I have no friends, but they're a Christian, they're stating an error. You say, I can't trust anyone on this earth. My trust level has been violated. It's been challenged, compromised. You can always trust in Jesus. He's your healer. Jesus is your deliverer. I want to be like Jesus. I want to talk about Jesus, and and I want to share about Jesus. Have you found it interesting? In all my years of serving in the ministry, I'm getting ready to close, Tony, if you'll come to the keys. I've always heard people say, praise God. Praise God. Praise God. In the church when I served in Fredericksburg, there was one lady. Her name was Pat Perry. And every time I'd say, Pat, how you doing? She'd say, praise Jesus. Praise Jesus. And you know, i got to be honest with you. I don't, you don't run into a lot of people that say, praise Jesus. We say, praise God. That's what I do. Praise God. But how many of you know there's a there's this warped philosophy, theology that talks about many ways to God. There are so many gods in this world. So many idols that people are following after. But there's only one Jesus Christ. He's everything to me. I want to be like him. I want to decrease. I want him to increase. And if that happens in my life, I will become more like him. I heard a preacher say this one time. He was, he was quoting from the, the letter in 1 John. And this is what those verses say. He, it says, Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know this. When he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. That's a powerful scripture. I can't wait for that day to happen. But the preacher said this, and this is what I really like. He said, I want to be so much like Jesus now that I don't have to change a whole lot when he shows up. I want that much of Jesus inside of me. I want that much of Jesus through me. 
How can that happen? How can that happen when we wrestle with pride and vain glory daily? I told a class Wednesday night. How many of you have ever done this? You apologize and then you justify your position for your offense. You know, sometimes you just need to apologize and then zip it. But I've done it time and time and time again. You say, I am wrong. I am sorry. This one's on me. Forgive me. And you should attach a period right there and go on about your business. But then you put a comma there and you say, but this is the reason why I did what I did. And you invalidate the whole apology. Why is that? Because of pride. Because of pride. Can you be more like Jesus than you are today? Is it possible? I look around this room and there are some very godly people that I would have no problem coming to in a moment in my time of need and saying, hey, can you pray with me about something? Several in the room have great confidence in your faith. But can those persons become even more like Jesus? You say, how is it possible? I'll give you the, the answer right here. Number one, determine to decrease. Determine to decrease. Number two, determine to encounter Jesus more and more in your life. And then number three, determine to turn others to follow him. Even if it means they're leaving you. I am not. I am not. But thank God, I have encountered and experienced the great I am. He lives inside of me. He lives through me. I want people to experience him more than they do me. Would you bow your heads? Every head bowed and every eye closed, please just give me a moment. If you're here and you do not know Jesus as your personal Savior and Lord, it is my primary objective with the help of the Holy Spirit to point you to Christ. Would you like to be saved today? He has a great, great work for you to do. That's much bigger than anything you could dream or imagine. My God, my God. He wants to be Savior. He wants to be Lord. You take the posture of I am not by saying, Lord, I'm a sinner and I need a Savior. I want to encounter the great I am today. The I am that is my provider, my healer, my savior, my deliverer, my soon coming king. I want to encounter him today. I realize how big and vast and great and large you are. And the fact that you want to live inside of me, that you're inviting me to come so that you can take up residence in my heart is beyond anything I can fathom. anyone in the house anyone in the house
there'd be any honest hearts in here that would say, you know what? I could stand to shed some pride and reputation. I could stand to kind of lay some things down in my own life. There's been times I've kind of kind of operated like the I am when I really should have operated like the I am not. There's been times that I've kind of thought I had the answer. And I realized today that I didn't have the answer at all. All over this congregation, would you stand to your feet? Everyone in the room, stand to your feet. Do you need him today? Do you need him today? Sing it softly. Would you close your eyes, lift your hands, sing it to him. Oh God, how 